one, check one, my iced tea in the house. Welcome to episode number 21 of The Student Manager. This is your host, Fonger News. We're coming live from our Costa Mesa studio. Executive producer, Murph Cargis in the house. Guest, Jack Meyer. Jack Meyer, how are you doing? Michael, thanks for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. I'm doing well. Back from uh, abroad for six months that we'll dive into a little bit later, um, but I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to get this going. Jack Meyer, first of all, those of you who don't know who Jack Meyer is, he's the brother of Katie Meyer, who we've had on this podcast, as well as Tess Meyer. And I'm also his sponsor way back when for Catholic Catechism. How's that going, Jack? Tell my audience. Yeah, so, you know, I don't really know the uh, religious practices of your viewers. Um, however, you know, my, my practices have gone a little down. Sideways? A little sideways since we were at the pinnacle of our religious practicing when we were together and we went through the process. Um, you know, but I think there are a lot of great aspects to religion. We don't have to dive into them right now, but... Absolutely. Let's not dive into that scary word you know we don't know who the follower and listeners are we want to gain listeners and actually (laughs) since uh, your sister was on this podcast we have grown almost into double digits i keep on saying that actually almost triple digits right actually i think she has the most downloads year to date yeah like 98 as her brother that's surprising and i think that that needs to change that will change here is something we're going to do new on this podcast and i'm starting it out as uh, we have uh, this christmas break coming up today's recording a few podcasts. I'm going to start out. You are a senior at Northeastern, give or take. We'll get into that, right? Do you right. know the president of Northeastern University? I do. Joseph Fayoun is one of the best guys you'll meet. You know, he loves coming to classes and meeting people and going to the library and just kind of coming up to random people. He's kind of put on a pedestal at Northeastern as one of the better, you know, presidents of any school. Um, and he's, there's a lot of memes about him that, you know, we can dive into a little bit later, but he's, he's pretty awesome. And he's from USC. He is. Right. So I'm going to pause there because for the followers and listeners out there, here's a rule. Here's a takeaway, especially as you graduate from college, right? Or just you're coming on this podcast, you're in, uh, college. It's about preparation, right? Preparing. So I always want to know. My guess, do they even know who the president of their university is? And obviously you do. So great question. Here's my second right. question to you. Do you know what the graduation rate at Northeastern is? Yeah. Yeah. I would guess a 98%. Ooh, you're being too generous. Am I? Yes. They are 81.6%. So you're going to be part of that 81.6%. Of course. That's the graduation rate. And then my third and final question before we really kick this off about Northeastern and your experience, do you know how many alumni are in the alumni network of Northeastern? No clue. I'm going to guess, you know, it's got to be thousands, maybe let's say 20,000. I don't really have any scale here. All right. So... I will give you the exact number, 245,000 in the alumni network. And that's huge. huge. And the reason why I'm starting out this for the followers and listeners out there, it's all about, yes, college is a four-year experience, but what are you going to do after, right? Your experience at Northeastern, and now that you graduate, graduated, what's the graduation rate? Students and listeners should know what they're getting into, right? right? What the graduation rate is. But then how's that alumni network? We talk about networking all the time. And I'm going to ask you, in your 
experience at Northeastern, have you networked? Have you built relationships? So I like to think that I have. Um, the co-op program gives you a pretty insane advantage into building your network, and we'll kind of touch on the program a little bit later. Um, but, you know, my first co-op, I worked with people who, you know, worked at Goldman Sachs, a, a big bank, which is, you know, very relevant to what I'm doing, finance. You know, worked at these huge companies that know hundreds of people that are more than happy to help you out if you just have a conversation with them, take them out to lunch, learn about them. Um, and it really, you just kind of have a leg up when you put yourself out there and are able to do it. And Northeastern really gives you those resources and makes it, you know, possible. And I feel like I've, I've done a, a fair job of it thus far. Let's jump right into it because Northeastern, for those of you uh, that have been following my podcast, I've, I said, Sophia, my daughter was deciding between university of Washington and Northeastern as right. a parent. Now this is as a parent, I and her mother, we wanted her to go to Northeastern because of the co-op program. Now, at the end of the day, we let her decide because parents out there, it's your child's journey, not your journey. Let them go where they want to go. Absolutely. Let's talk about the co-op. Explain the co-op high level. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know what the co-op is, which is probably a lot of you as it's not really a very far reaching program currently, is every other semester, so every other six months, You'll take six months off of school where you're not paying tuition. You're completely removed from school, essentially. And you go work full time at a company of your choosing. And so Northeastern sets it up where they have hundreds of employer relationships and employers will come to them and say, hey, I'm interested in, you know, starting a co-op. How can I go about this? And so they throw that throw it on the the overarching portal that has all the co-ops. And you can go on, learn more about it, learn to read a description about it, look at the qualifications for it, see if you're even qualified for the job. And then you send out, you know, 20 to 40 applications, depending on your interests level, you know, what you're qualified for, what you want to do. And you'll get interviewed or you'll get, you know, requests for interviews based on, you know, how it would work in the real world. If you apply to a job, you're going to get asked to interview if if it's relevant. And we didn't even know what the co-op was when we first started looking into Northeastern. This is for my right. daughter, Sophia. We went there and we explained it. Uh, tell my audience, how many co-ops can you take during your career at Northeastern? So for your five years at Northeastern, which is the maximum amount you can do, most people do five, you can do three co-ops while you're there for a total of one and a half years of experience. Did you hear that? two to three co-ops, one and a half year experience. And at the end of the day, you're learning in class, theoretically, and then you're going out on your co-op skills on the job, on the job training. So the, yeah, so I like that you bring that up. You know, the great thing about it is you take these classes and I hear a lot of people complaining that, you know, these classes are useless. What am I gonna use this class for in the real world? And co-op really gives you the opportunity to go apply those things. You know, you take a semester of classes and you literally apply that exact knowledge to your job in the next six months. And then you can kind of learn from it. You can go on a job and basically see if that's even a job that you want to do. You know, a lot of kids coming into school have no idea what they want to do, me included. You know, my major is finance, but you know, that's such a broad term and there's so many different fields within it. And so you get to really try out every single part 
of the field that you're interested in and say, you know, I really like this aspect of it. I don't like that. And I'm not going to, you know, apply for that job post college. And you're getting the real experience. You're learning from it. Right. And not only that, correct me if I'm wrong, you're getting paid. You are getting paid. So you make somewhere between 20 to $40 an hour, depending on how you know prestigious, I guess is the word that the job is. Um, but on average, I'd say about $20 an hour for a total of, you know, you make $20,000 while you're on co-op. Yeah, and, and you're still going to school. You have to live. Let's talk about that because yep. you just came back from Portland. Right. So what do you recommend? What are the options? Can you do your co-op in different cities and towns? Yeah, so they have co-op programs everywhere. They have them global. They have them all over the country. Um, it's kind of up to you. Most of the co-ops are in Boston. I'd probably say 75% of them. But most of my friends back at school have gone away for at least one co-op. And it's something that, you know, is very accessible to do if you're interested in it. And you're getting to experience real life. Right. And that's something that a lot of college students don't really get in college. Um, you know, g it's, g give my followers and examples yeah. specifically. What right. are you talking about? Right. So you're in college and, you know, your day to day is you wake up, you study, you know, maybe you go drink with your buddies and then, you know, you do it all over again and you don't really get to apply anything. But when I moved over to Portland, you know, I had to find a house for that. I had to open up a utilities bill. I had to pay electricity, open up these accounts that like I'm, you know, I'm a fourth year in college and I have to be managing the day to day of what I'm going to be real doing life, my, real life. Correct. You know, Ad when I graduate adult 101, which they don't te teach at most colleges, they don't. And so this kind of forces you, it pushes you out of the tree and says, Hey, you got to learn to fly, man. And this is obviously, you know, a very minute example, you know, opening a utilities bill, but the day to day is, is really interesting. So let's rewind even before the co-ops came and Northeastern came. Take me back, walk my followers through. Northeastern wasn't your number one choice. No, Northeastern, I got the acceptance letter and I basically said, you know, fuck this. I'm not going to Northeastern. <laughs> it's in Boston. It's cold. Um, you know, this isn't a school that I'm really interested in. There's no sports here. There's no football. You know, I want football. Greek life is small. And these were all things I didn't, you know, I thought that I wanted coming out of high school. It's kind of the traditional path that a lot of students want. You know, they want a football team. They want. Did you even know where Northeastern was? Yeah, I knew where Northeastern was. Um, you know, to be honest, I confused it with Northwestern at points. A lot of people do in Chicago. Um, but, you know, I applied to a couple other Boston schools. I just knew that I wanted to get out of California is what I wanted. So what were the, your, your other options coming out of high school? So, yeah, coming out of high school, UT was on the radar. Syracuse was on the radar. Boston University was something that or a school, another school that I considered that's super close to Northeastern. Um, but, yeah, I'd probably say those four. You know, I got rejected from a lot of my top choices, USC, University of Michigan, UCLA, um, you know, NYU. And you got rejected. Why don't you just give high level? What were you, what was your ACT, SAT, GPA coming out of modern day? Yeah, GPA coming out of modern day was a 3.9 to 3.95, somewhere in that range. And then ACT was a 30. Okay. So that gives my audience a perspective, right? I mean, you didn't get accepted to the schools that you wanted to. Here comes Northeastern. 
did you get accepted to enroll fall semester or take me through that process and where we're about to head into? Yeah, so I got accepted from Northeastern with the caveat that, you know, I would have to be going away the first semester of college to a destination in Europe of my choosing. Um, they kind of lump you in with the dumb kids when they send <laughs> you away. Um, they basically say, you know, you're not good enough right now, but we'll send you away, go have some experiences in Europe, and then we'll make room for you when you come back. So you decide to go to? Ireland, Dublin, Dublin and Ireland. Talk to me about that experience. What was it like student-wise? Did you even go to class? What was it? Yeah, so when I first found out that I was going to Ireland, I was terrified. Um, it wasn't something in high school that I would have traditionally done. You know, I was kind of a shy kid in high school. Kind of a home, No, home Jack Meyer shy. I right. got stories about Jack Meyer being shy. Right, surprising. Um, you know, as a shy kid, I, I was kind of a homebody. It wasn't something that was like me. Um, and so I kind of realized after, you know, talking to a lot of different people, you know, you included, you gave me the advice that you just got to, you know, push yourself out of the tree, essentially, you know, like I said earlier. And so I, I took the leap, went over to Ireland. It was amazing. So it was me, myself and a group of roughly 40 other kids that went with me. Nobody knew anybody. Um, and so you'd go to two classes a day. And I, I use the term classes liberally, but it was a, a pass if you got a 40% total in the class. So, you know, it was more of just a, a vacation, essentially. Those 12 weeks went by pretty fast. About 12 weeks, yeah. Uh, and you met some people. You now come back on the campus at Boston. How was that transition? Yeah, so the transition was tough. And so looking at it from the outside, you go to Ireland or you go you know, to wherever the NUN mm -hmm. destination of your choosing. And you come back and a lot of these kids have already established kind of who you're going to hang out with, you know, your little groups already. And you kind of miss the first semester of dorm life where, you know, even talking to my buddies back at school, they met a lot of their best friends the first semester of school in these dorms. You know, they were maybe neighbors. They lived down the hall from each other. And that's kind of a, a scary thing to think coming back that you missed out on that portion of college. But, you know, I kind of lucked out and and joined a fraternity sig up. Yeah, let's pause there. He's why don't you tell my followers and listeners the what sig up is? Sigma. So sigma phi epsilon is sig up. Um and we can kind of get into the meaning of those in a little bit, but you know, I joined sig up and I met a great group of guys in the first semester in a fraternity, you know, stereotypically you are working with your your class of other pledges and you know doing some menial tasks to put it lightly but you know you really bond with with your buddies and your new friends i guess if you want to call them that and it was a, it made the transition a lot easier how is the greek system the greek life there at northeastern yeah so the the greek life is really small um it wasn't really even something that i knew they i thought you know, they, it was virtually non-existent coming in. It makes up about 10% of the student body. Um, SIGAP, my fraternity, is 105 people. Um, but Greek life's a small thing there, but everybody in Greek life knows everybody else in Greek life. So it's not a nice little community that you have. And talking about makes up 10% of the student body, tell my followers and listeners, how many people, undergrads, are at Northeastern, approximately? Yeah, yeah. So it's approximately fifteen to 16,000 people. So that's 
you know, when you look at 10% of that, you about 1,500 people in Greenleaf. And Northeastern's in the urban part of Boston. I've been on that campus. We took Sophia, Julia, Joshua. It was a rainy day. It was in the spring. I love just walking on the quad and, um, you know, the little courtyard out in the front, the student union. Right. But kind of paint the picture. It Because it is a college campus fill, but as soon as you cross the street, it, you're like, whoa, there's Fenway Park. Right, you're in the city. You're so, I mean, Fenway is a five-minute walk from campus. and you know, Fenway, but the, the Boston Red Sox, I mean, people aren't all sport listeners. Here. Right, Fenway, the home of the Boston Red Sox, you know, one of the more historic areas or one of the more historic baseball parks, you know, in the country. And it's really cool to have an urban area like that in comparison to being at, you know, a state school, for example, maybe in, not in a city and you have, your, you have your own little college town, but... You know, that's really all there is to it. Boston is so big and there's so much stuff to do outside of just what's, you know, your own little college community, which makes, you know, the experience a lot more interesting and, you know, you're able to learn from it a little bit more. So your first year, uh, talk about where you're living. Residence halls, it's, it's it's I don't know, fraternity house, sorority house. I don't think they have that. Yeah, so Northeastern doesn't have fraternity or sorority houses. Um, some weird Boston law that was enacted a while ago. Um, so we, we kind of, our houses that we buy are kind of the fraternity houses, if you want to call them that. And you kind of get a group of eight guys living in the house together, and then that's your house. When you came back from Ireland, were you living in the dorms? Yes, so out of Ireland, they put you into dorms right away, and then you have to live on campus for a year before you're allowed to move off campus. Or I guess a year and a half, a year and a half. So I was living in, you know, a dorm. It's Northeastern spends a lot of money on, on stuff that students want. So, you know, they spend a lot of money on dorms and study areas. So, you know, it kind of makes it a little bit better experience for you. And so I lived in a new dorm I was roommates with, or I lived next door to Colin McGrewer, one of my really good friends now. I met him in Ireland. I'm still really good friends to this day. And, you know, dorm life was cool. It was my entire time at Northeastern. I've lived in a bedroom where there are two beds in the same room. And so you really, really have to get close with your roommate. And there, there are no boundaries at that point, you know. Right, right. Which, you know, makes it kind of interesting and it really tests your patience a lot of the time. Oh, you're just learning responsibility, and it's not like living at home with with uh, the parents. Right. All right. Let's talk about the. It, you don't have a football team there. Correct. Right. So talk to us about what you do. Yeah. So yeah, Northeastern is a huge study school. Like people are addicted to studying, and it's kind of funny to say, but it they just absolutely love it and. So on the weekends, you know, we don't have sports that are like football. So, you know, every Saturday we're not tailgating. But, you know, we have hockey during the regular season. We have a hockey rink on campus that, you know, people like pre-gaming for and heading over to the hockey rink and enjoying a game with your buddies. Um, and then, that you know, this past year and the year before, we made the uh, March Madness. Tournament, March Madness. We, uh, you know, and that was a really cool thing because even though it was so small and we were the 16th seed and like we there was no chance of us winning every single bar on campus was packed right and it was awesome to go in there and everybody's rooting for them and all their gear that they have on and you know it kind of makes me 
wonder what Northeastern would be if we had a big sporting presence, but you know, there are a lot of other things that it offers. But that's what makes Northeastern Northeastern. Correct. We, we walked, you know, on the campus and I said, all right, to, to me as a, as, as a adult, as a parent, I thought it wasn't the, it was a great university. Right. But, but me as thinking it was kind of too small. That was my take. Right. Um, but one thing I, I, I liked about it was, you know, when you did walk on that campus, it did feel like a nice urban right. historical buildings. Yep. Right. And then it was cold. I remember we were meeting one of the coaches and he said, we're going to take you through um, the the maze or the underground. I'm like, the underground? What's the underground? Explain what the underground is and why they have it. Yeah, so Northeastern gets really cold in the winter. How cold? Boston in general. Um, you know, we hit zero a lot of the time. We go negatives a pretty good amount of the time. And so you don't want to be outside for that. I promise you, you know, living in Southern California, we are spoiled. That's not what it's like other parts of the country. And so Northeastern basically created a series of tunnels that connect all of the academic buildings. So if you have a class that's across campus and, you know, there's a blizzard outside, lucky you, you just go right underground and you can get to your class in about five minutes. They are very confusing though, to be fair. And I know you were telling me- I got lost. You got a little lost in the tunnels. Yeah, I got lost. I'm like, where am I going? Right. (laughs) And and, you know, it's not surprising to be honest with you. And they they are a little confusing. The maps don't make sense, but the overall, you know, premise is awesome. You talked about being studious. A lot of the students there study. Let's talk about Snell Library. How many times have you been to Snell Library? I've probably been to Snell a thousand times in my time in Northeastern. I mean, I go multiple times a day. I don't know if that counts, but you know, every day that I'm on campus, I'm in Snell Library. And and where do you eat? Uh, one thing I, I when I go to college campuses, I always like going to the student union, finding places to eat. And then recommending places. So if anyone wants to go visit Boston, Northeastern University, uh, where are they eating? And we're talking broad, not just like kind of close to campus. Correct. Right now. Well, no, let's let's just stay on campus right now. I don't have a lot of time. I want to kind of experience where am I eating at the student union? Sure. So Tate is a very popular Boston uh, cafe, local local cafe, Boston. Um, And it is awesome. People love it. It's, you know, super aesthetically pleasing place. It's really hip. Mm-hmm. Great coffee, great food. Um, Amelia's Taqueria is a local taco joint that uh, Northeastern students are addicted to. They're open to 2 a.m. on Saturdays and Fridays. And that so is. that is frequented. I think you gave us those recommendations because we didn't have a lot of time. And I right. said, where are we going to eat on campus? Right. All right. So you're over 21. Yeah. Where do Northeastern students, I mean, Boston's so big, but where are you going out? Yeah, so on campus, there are a couple of bars. Um, Connor's Pub is a really local one. There used to be a bar called Punter's. Um, That's been around since, you know, I talked to my uncle who went to Northeastern years ago, you know, 30 years ago, and it was there. And, you know, it just closed down the other year. Pretty pretty sad. Rip Punter's. Um, But as far as going out, you know, clubbing is kind of the main thing at least at this point in our lives still, you know, you call them bars, but it's more like clubbing. You know, you go just packed. Dancing, dancing music, right. dressing up. Um, I mean, dressing up to an extent, but it's you know, nothing crazy. But, you know, I would definitely say it kind of leans towards clubbing rather than going and getting a, you know, chill drink at a bar per se. Um, and then recently a casino opened up in Boston called the Encore. It's about 25 minutes outside the city. And... So the other weekend, I, I, I wasn't able to make it because I was in Portland, but 
you know, a group of my buddies took this huge party bus over to Encore, you know, dressed up, gambling <laughs> until 4 a.m., hitting the club there. And so that's a nice little new aspect of Austin. So now let's explore outside of the northeastern perimeter. Parents are coming to town. Jim and Stephanie, where are you telling mom and dad to take you out to dinner? Yeah, so there's a couple of sushi restaurants that I love in Boston. Uh, Uni is a great one. They're open late night. Cafe Sushi, another unreal spot. Um, and then Hajoko is one of my all-time favorite restaurants in Boston. And they do a fun you know, Asian-American twist there. And then... My favorite ramen place of all time is in Boston, and the, you know I've tried a lot of ramen in my day. I consider myself sort of a, a ramen, ramen aficionado. Right, I, I consider myself that. And this ramen is, you know, you have to get there at 11 a.m. There's a line of 30 people, and you're gonna wait though, even in the blizzard. Where was the sushi place that we took you? Was that for your so birthday? So that's okay. So that was Red Lantern. Yes. And Tell my audience about Red Lantern and what we did. Yeah, I've had some pretty pretty crazy experiences at Red Lantern. It's a fun place. It turns into a club at around 11, so even for dinner, it gets kind of rowdy. And they're basically just these huge circular tables. So Michael, Mr. Fong, was generous enough to take me there to celebrate my birthday <laughs> with a couple of buddies. Um, and so we probably had, you know, six rounds of sake bombs, a couple of other various drinks mixed in that, and just banging on the table the whole night and it's a good time. That's a fun place. Red Lantern. I remember we went there. Um, let's say, you know, you, you've been out all night. Morning's coming. You're hungry, hungover. Where are you eating breakfast? Yeah. When you first started asking that question, my mind went to late night snacks. And so I'm going to answer that question first. Go for it. And then I'll answer that question next. But so there's a place on campus called, or I guess it's not on campus. It's on kind of the housing little community of Northeastern kids. It's called Crispy Dough Pizzeria. And this place is open until- Oh, that sounds so good. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. Crispy Dough Pizza. Crispy crispy Dough, anything bread soaking up the alcohol. So you're there, you know, you you walk into Crispy (laughs) Dough at 3 a.m. and the line is out the door. And you're like, this doesn't even make sense. It's just every kid that is either coming from a party, a club, and they're like, let me just get my one slice in before I have to to head home. (laughs) And these slices are just massive. They're three times the size. And do you finish it? Oh, every time. Okay. Every single time. You have to. So late night munchies. That sounds awesome. Right. And then... And you wake up and you're still hungry. So now where are we going? Of course. So now, as I mentioned earlier, you go to ramen. There's no other choice for hungover food. You go to ramen. You get there at 11 a.m. You're the first people in line. You get in and you eat your big bowl of soup and then you feel completely healed by the time you've left. All right. Since we're on this topic, let's just talk about this fake IDs. Is it hard to get there? Is it hard? Should I say, is it hard to get one? So, I mean, I consider myself kind of a fake ID expert or I was. No, really? That's why I'm asking you. Right. When I was, you know, (laughs) when I was 19, I needed them and, you know, I I was doing a lot of research into it and they were really easy to get back then. Um, You just send them a picture, you send them 30 bucks, you put an order for 10 people and you call call it a day. Um, But nowadays they're a lot harder to get. IDs are getting more secure. Kids are beginning to go out of luck um and it looks like you're just gonna have to wait until you're 21 kids see so. parents now my 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 parent listeners love to hear that right the the student listeners are like wait then why am i going to college <laughs> right but i remember talking to you and you said if it's out of what country stay away from it so if it's <laughs> <laughs> well 
So a lot of fake IDs come from China, of course. And they're, it's hard to communicate with the manufacturers. And those are my cousins. <laughs> so it's maybe might have to go somewhere else. Right. So, you know, what I like to recommend in this kind of case is you find somebody that looks similar to you. It's maybe older than 21 and you say, hey, can I have your ID? And then they would just have to go to the DMV and get a new new one. Now, the bars out there, are they pretty, especially near campus, are they uh, strict? Some campuses are strict and we just had Ohio State on and it seems pretty lenient there. Yeah, I could argue that Boston is the strictest fake ID city in the country. And I would think that it is. So at every single bar, they basically have this big, scary black box that's on a stand and the guy will take your ID, the guy or woman will take your ID and stick it in the machine and it'll spit it out the other side and then a big <laughs> light will come up either like denied or valid. Kind of like when you pass through through a country. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Entry or no entry. Yeah. And that's what it feels like at all these bars and it, it's terrifying. All right, be honest. Have you gotten the green light on everyone? No, I mean, that. no, certainly not everyone. <laughs> you know, my fair share of IDs pulled, but you know, now we're, we're over 21. We don't have to worry about it. That's right. All right, Italian. I have my favorite Italian restaurant, but what's your favorite Italian restaurant when you're a student? Yeah, so I haven't been to this spot in a while because it's really difficult to get into, but there's a restaurant called The Daily Catch, and this place seats about eight people at a time, eight to ten people, and it's one of the better Italian places, I would say, in Boston easily. And I keep on giving your parents this recommendation, and I think I've given it to you, Trattori on Hanover. It's in Little Italy. Right. Been there? I think I have been there once. I North End is somewhere that people at Northeastern don't go a ton. It's so Fenway has all the bars and they have, you know, they're starting to get a lot of good food. Yaki Lane or whatever. Right. right? Yaki Lane, exactly. And so Fenway is kind of the happening part of Boston right now. And North End is kind of the the older crowd vibe type thing. Right. Oh, sophisticated. That'd be like where Marie and I. Right. Like if I was going to go get a glass of wine, I'm going to the North End. Let's talk about Boston's phenomenal. We haven't even talked a lot about Boston. You talked about Fenway, but talk about the other vibe and atmosphere. You got the Celtics, you got uh, the Bruins, Bruins. uh, right? And you have college hockey, the biggest hockey tournament going on. Right. Yeah. So Boston is... Awesome. I think that for going to college and anybody who goes to school in Boston will tell you that it's one of the best, you know, college towns in the country just because of the sheer number of college kids that live there during the school year. I think it's the most in America currently. And so you go out to bars and you go to restaurants and it's just filled with college kids wherever you go, whether you go over to Cambridge, you know, Fenway, Beacon Hill, obviously. Um, And, you know, it's just so amazing to be able to be sitting there on a Friday night and say, you know, we have nothing to do. Let's go see a Celtics game or let's go see a Bruins game. And that's something that, you know, you only get when you're in a big city or a big sports city. And it kind of makes up an extent for not having, you know, a football team. Right. Because think about it. You're in Boston. When my kids were really, really young, the first trips we did to, of course, like everybody, let's go to Harvard. Let's go to MIT. Let's set the bar up high. Right. Mm -hmm. Amherst, UMass. And then, oh, Boston College. Right. BU. Yep. I didn't even, Northeastern did not come on our trip until like the third time in Boston. No. I mean, that's not surprising. It's kind of just now gaining traction. I think the co-op program is kind of the 
the force, the driving force behind why they've gained so much momentum recently. Um, and it's really exciting to see other schools adopt it starting, you know, yes. recently. You know, because when you think about it, employers don't really care that you have a degree in, the, in today's day and age. You know, everybody has a degree. Every single person that's applying to a job after college will have a degree. It's the experience that you had in the real world during school that's going to set you apart. And schools are starting to catch on. Let me reiterate that for my students and parents out there. What Jack Meyer just hit on is very, very true. At the end of the day, everybody has a degree, right? Just like for the high school students out there that are applying to college now and parents out there, everybody has a 4.0. Everybody has a 30 on the ACT. Everybody plays sports and student body government. What's going to separate you, make you look holistically to be a student at that specific, uh, particular university, correct? Right. Same thing when you're graduate. Jack Meyer, you're about to graduate. I am in about a year. Right. What is the biggest thing that you probably have learned, your big takeaway from being a Husky? Yeah, I would say it's most certainly the job experience and the hard work that goes with your job experience. You know, I coming into college, I was like, you know, whatever, I'll get a job soon. It'll be easy. It won't be that hard. Um, but really putting in the work for something that you want and applying to these co-ops and looking at a job that, you know, you think that maybe you're not so qualified for, but you really put in the work, you boost your resume, you get that interview and you go and crush it. And, you know, you're really proud of yourself. And that hard work and working for, you know, what you want and, you know, these high goals, are, they directly translate into, into the real world. Again, we are selling the co-op at Northeastern. It's huge. When I told my friends and peers that, well, they would ask, where's Sophia looking into? And they said, Northeast. I said, Northeastern. They said, some knew it. Where's that? And I said, Northeastern is a phenomenal university because of the co-op program, right? How many job interviews have you had or lined up? Kind of talk to me about that. Yeah, so through my time at Northeastern, I probably interviewed... 20 to 30 times uh, with potential employers and you know a lesson from that I got four of the jobs out of 30 so it's really not something that is given to you on a silver platter you really really have you got to work at it right and you got to meet like I tell every listener out there students you could probably can attest to this right Jack it's the networking meeting people yeah right? it's it's pretty unfair to have a big network. You know, if you're looking for a job and you're on LinkedIn and you see that, you know, this person knows this person and you happen to have a really good relationship with one of them, you already have a leg up on every single other applicant just because you networked in and you have a relationship with that that particular person. Let's get back to my followers, the parents out there and students. What advice would you give them? You came out of modern day, you had 3.9, 30 ACT, you had your mindset on specific schools, some you didn't get into, and you ended up at Northeastern. Yep. There's a lot of pressure going on, more so now, four or five years later. Sure. What advice would you give to them? Yeah, I would say, to be honest with you, you know, I don't think that the whole college application process has to be as stressful as a lot of people make it out. Um, you know, it's obviously a big choice, and you know where you go is going to have an impact on you. But I think that wherever you do end up and 
obviously, as we touched on earlier, it should be the student's choice. You can really make it whatever you want it to be. And I know that sounds super cliche, but, you know, if you go to a school and you put in the effort and you use the resources and you try to, you know, network out, make friends, it, you're going to have a good time kind of regardless of where you go. And I know that we were talking about this off air a little bit earlier, but location matters. Um, and so if you kind of take the those things of being able to, you know, take what you're given and run with it and have a good location, you know, a location that you like, everybody's different. I think that the that's kind of the recipe for a good college experience. And of course, it's easier said than done. And it's a stressful time for students. But I don't think it's kind of the end all, you know, picking a college isn't the end all be all. It's you're going to end up where you need. And that's why we always tell students and I tell parents, everything will work out. Go through the process. There's a school for everybody. Right. And it's exactly what you said. What are you going to do when you step foot on that campus? What impact are you going to make? Right. Jack, it's, I've known you for a long time. Um, seen you grow up from the times when you're in T-ball, <laughs> striking out and crying and, <laughs> and telling you if you those hit a home run, I would give you five bucks or $10. And now look Never at you. Never got one of those. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to graduate Northeastern. The oyster is your world. You're going to be interviewing, being very successful. Uh, like I've told you what, how we're going to, we're growing this podcast, right? right? The generations, the future of the road, how we want to promote this. And eventually as, as you all graduate, then the interviewing process, how to get a job, right? So, uh, the next time you're back in town, I would love to have you on my podcast, yep. uh, kind of talk about, you know, what you're doing in the working world, because again, Northeastern, I'm going to sell it again. Because a lot of listeners out there need to know about this co-op program. Just Google co-op Northeastern or Google co-op universities. There aren't that many out there. Right. I think there is two, maybe three. I know Drexel, Top ones. I know Drexel is another one. Um, that's, yeah, that's literally all that I can think I of. I mean, you're right in Boston, in Northeastern. Right, go Huskies. Right, welcome to the doghouse, as we like to say, over in over in Boston. We like to thank our executive producer Murph Cargis. Hey, Murph, wait before we wrap this up, I got to promote this uh, video snip clip. Do you have your phone? While we're just wrapping up and Absolutely. we're talking. So again, I want to thank our executive producer Murph Cargis, formerly of Sugar Ray. Jack, why you know that song, right? I don't even think you were born back then. I was about a year old. Yeah, right? Yeah. And I want to thank our guest, Jack Meyer, senior at Northeastern, graduating. Uh, Fonger News, our corporate sponsor. Make sure you follow the student manager as we're growing this podcast, growing it globally. Right, of course, Jack? everybody out there, please follow, subscribe, hit that like button, smash that like button, and we're going to get this thing global. Thanks for having me, Fong. There you go. Fonger News out.